Chris and Chris Talk Movies. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Chris Ferry, and as always, my co-host is... I am Chris Huddleston. That kind of sounded like that was to the tune of uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Really? A little bit. It was yeah. to the tune of something, baby. Okay. But um, sure. Great. Yes, and. Yes, um, today we are very excited to be talking like robots, to be talking to you. I eat too much. That's why I'm not drunk, <laughs> but I'm a little food drunk. Today we are very excited to be talking to you about the first Star Trek movie. We are going to be discussing Star Trek, the motion picture. forward with us 300 years into the future to confront the greatest mystery ever to threaten mankind we are aboard a huge starship called the enterprise this is the return of captain kirk an alien object of unbelievable destructive power is less than three days away from this planet mr spock i offer my services as science officer dr mccoy scotty and joining them on their mission commander will decker and navigator ilea I'm sorry. That you left Delta Four? Or that you didn't even say goodbye? Get us back in impulse power. Forwards. Wormhole distortion is overloaded the main power systems. The laser are harder. This, then, is the epic journey of the Starship Enterprise, traveling to the outer limits of time and space to challenge a vast, living machine of destruction. The human adventure is just beginning. Star Trek, the motion picture. Okay, Mr. Huddleston, do you have a synopsis for us? I do. This comes from IMDb, which I think pretty much all the synopses have been from. A massive alien spacecraft of enormous power destroys three powerful Klingon cruisers as it makes its way towards Federation space. Admiral James T. Kirk is ordered to take command of the USS Enterprise for the first time. Since her historic five-year mission, the Epsilon 9 space station alerts the Federation, but they are also destroyed by the alien spacecraft. The only starship in range is the Enterprise, after undergoing a major overhaul in dry dock orbiting Earth. Kirk rounds up the rest of his crew and acquires some new members and sets off to intercept the alien spacecraft. However, it has been three years since Kirk last went into deep space. Is he up to the task of saving Earth? No. No. <laughs> they all die. <laughs> the end. It's a miserable failure. <laughs> With nine sequels or whatever. 
Um, yes. Now, I have seen this one, and you said you'd seen all the others but this one. Exactly. Just before, yeah. just before we jump into it, I would like to acknowledge at the end of the last episode, for those of you who listen to us on a regular basis, we had planned to we discuss... We had some technical difficulty. Yeah. Um, the movie... Well, Strange Days. Strange Days. And we couldn't find it streaming anywhere online. What are the odds of that? I was willing to pay money to watch this movie, but I could not do it. And that's one of those things we had a little discussion about via text where there are certain movies like that, you know, with each format change, movies don't go over to, you know, some get lost in the shuffle. And this might be one of those that'll never make it to streaming and then it'll just be it might a be. forgotten movie, you know. But you know, it's listed on Amazon Prime, and it says, "Oh, this isn't available in your area." So I maybe have it's just a, f- a rights thing, and maybe it's yeah. in other countries or something. I have a feeling that you know it's part of a bundle that got licensed Probably, somewhere yeah. and is exclusive to some, you know, package of channels and films somewhere. Probably and it'll open yeah. back up because it's you know seems like a big enough movie that yeah it, you know. yeah. And I look forward to discussing it with you one of these days. Hopefully, I have yeah. I've seen it but once, and I probably saw it close to when it came out. Um, anywho, today we are going to be joining the Gene Roddenberry crew. Uh, and why don't you start since you had never seen it? Yeah, so I this was one of those just uh, I never got around to for whatever reason. As you said, I had seen all of the other ones and enjoyed them um i kind of a little bit of background for star trek uh i've never been one of those evil evil either or people i like star wars and i like star trek i i'm much more of a star wars fan but i grew up um i mean we weren't alive when the original show was made but you know we kind of grew up with that being on tv so i really loved the original show um i always enjoyed the, the other movies that I saw, um, I, I never got into the next generation or any of the other shows. So I was kind of just a, a fan of the original ones, but I always thought the, the movies were, were really entertaining and I'd just never seen this one for whatever reason. Um, the, per, the positives of it, I would say are the effects are great. Um, so these effects were, um, I think his name is Douglas, Trumbull, because somebody's, I should have looked that up. But anyway, Douglas uh, Tribble. Tribble, yeah, he's the trouble with Douglas Tribble, is what I said, is that he did these special effects. Um, it, uh, so he did the effects for 2001 A Space Odyssey as well. And it kind of shows mm-hmm. uh, because, the, you know, the ships and everything and this, uh, this, the alien thing that they spend a lot of time traveling into looks really great. So I, and I imagine, um, that people, you know, this was two years after star Wars. So it wasn't like people had never seen, you know, these kind of effects before. And again, 2001, you know, had some similar looking things, but, but still, I imagine when people saw this in the theater, you know, it probably looked really great on a big screen. Um, and I was reading some of the, I can get into this a little bit later, but some of the trivia about the movie, um, it was the, it had the biggest opening weekend in history up to that point. 
it was also the most expensive movie ever made at what? that point. No yeah, kidding. It, it, it cost $44 million back then, which that we think that it seems like $44 million. I mean, you know, inflation and everything, but yeah, yes. it seemed when we have $300 million movies, you know, now, um, but yeah, it was the most expensive movie ever made up to that point. And it, you know, it, to a degree it shows it's still a lot of this still looks really great today, I think. Um, and you, I love these characters, you know, especially Kirk and Spock and bones together. Um, you know, a lot of that started with the show, but, but you can really see how they, uh, kind of solidified what would be to come in the future with them playing off of each other and the kind of, you know, jokes with bones. And, um, this doesn't have as much comedy as, as some of the later ones would. And it, it always seems like all series always get more comedic as they go along. I don't know why that is, but, but yeah, so th- I really liked the, you know, I love the rapport between particularly those three characters and the, the newer characters that they bring on, um, I think are pretty interesting. You have this other captain who um, he was supposed to be the captain of the ship. And, you know, at the last minute Kirk comes in and he's going to take over. And that guy's upset that, um, you know, he was going to be the guy and he'd been working with the ship for three years and all that. Um, And then you have the, uh, what is the name of the bald? Um, her name is I don't know. Il- Ilya or Il- Ila. Um, and she is, I don't know what race she is supposed to be of alien or species of alien or whatever, but, but she's pretty interesting. And this actress, I don't know if you recognized her or not, but she was the love interest in um, Megaforce. <laughs> she looks very different with hair. She did seem without familiar her. to me. Yeah. Okay. So, cause I kept thinking like, she looks familiar. And I thought, I wonder if that's the same, the same woman. And sadly, she, she only lived to be 49 years old. She died mm. of, died of a heart attack at 49 in 1998. Aye, aye, aye. Um, anyway, she was, she was interesting. You have the other, you know, all the other, uh, everybody basically returns from the original series. Um, so all of that was fine. The, the, the negatives that I would say about this is it's slow. You know, they're, they're just them, you know, this, the alien cloud thing or whatever you want to call it. It just, you know, them traveling into it and dealing with it and all that just kind of goes on forever, it seems. Now, in some of the, what I was reading about this today, I had no idea. Um, they were planning uh, before the movie was made they were planning to make a new series and it was going to be called phase star Trek phase two. Hmm. And then when, um, it, it seemed like it wasn't so much star Wars that caused them to decide to make a star Trek movie. It was more close encounters of the third kind. They were Hmm. pretty influenced by, and that kind of showed them that science fiction, uh, you know, could do well because that was a big hit. So, um, they scrapped the TV show idea and then this movie, uh, they used the script for the pilot episode of the show to make this movie out of. And I think it kind of shows because this seems to me like 
more of a 30 minute or hour long idea that was stretched out. And the stuff that I was reading, they said they were a lot of this. They were making up as they went along that that the script was changing almost hourly and they were telling the crew not to memorize uh, or they were telling the cast rather not to memorize um, lines because it was probably going to change the next day. They told so, the crew too. They said, please don't also, you should not memorize. Exactly. Memory. You don't, you don't memorize lines either. So it, it's not like it's a train wreck or anything like that. It doesn't no. seem like a mess. It just seems like a, a, a good uh, idea stretched way too far. My thing with that is it, it, it doesn't even make a good episode. Right. The concept is there and you can see mm-hmm. how as a pilot for another a reboot of the series, it's got all that kind of classic Star Trek um, concept and twist. Right. Uh, V'ger. It turns out, oh, it's Voyager. Right. And Voyager has what not the Voyager we know, but one of a series of Voyagers that has been sent out. Voyager six, I think they say. That was basically, you know, was programmed to go gather all the information it could and beam it back to Earth. And it got sucked into a black hole, if I'm remembering correctly, or something, and get, and came out somewhere where it met the Transformers, a, a you know, a species of sentient machines. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not the Transformers. But that's how they describe themselves on Cybertron. Yeah. So it, it it becomes so then these sentient machines that find Voyager are charmed by it and they build it a you know a huge craft so that it can fulfill its basic programming which was gather as much information as it can and report back to Earth so now it has become this enormous juggernaut of a thing moving through space and it's returning to Earth looking for its maker and it's it it has become sentient, maybe made sentient by the species it found, and it's having an existential crisis. Why do I exist? What's my purpose? Is this all there is to life, right? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of classic Star Trek wrestling with identity, wrestling with like, oh, what? how do we think about a threat? And what if it's something we couldn't even imagine? And it is, oh, but it actually started with us. Like it just great, terrific Star Wars Star Wars, Star Trek episode stuff. Mm-hmm. But it it's over two hours long. And it has these long, lavish, slow, crawling shots of the ship in dry dock as you sort of drifting down the hull of the majestic. And it's it's right out of 2001. I mean, yeah. 2001 is a visionary movie. That is, I think, one of the great science fiction movies of all time. It is boring, uh, you know, and you Mm -hmm. can say, well, you're a Philistine. Maybe I am. You know, you can't get high and watch 2001. You're going to fall asleep. (laughs) It's gorgeous. And I think at the time it would have been utterly mind blowing. Right. This one is not silent in space. This has a big score. And it's, it's very fond of itself. It starts when you start the movie. There's a minutes of just a black screen while they play the kind of like beginning of the score. And they 
You get this musical interlude before you even see credits. And then you sit through a, a credit sequence, which is white text on a black screen. And one thing that I had forgotten is you didn't really ever watch uh, Star Trek The Next Generation, but I did. I mean, I saw episodes here and there. I was just never a fan of it, really. And Star Trek The Next Generation has adopted the uh, theme from mm-hmm. this film. Yeah, they said in the stuff that I was reading, the theme was created in, you know, for this movie, Jerry Goldsmith, and he was very influenced by Star Wars. And I think you can tell that. Yeah. And they used it until 2002, they said. It's great. It's a great theme. Yeah, it's great. Um, What this thing lacks um, that I thought the original so just talking about title sequence is this sense of kinetic. So the first star Wars, I keep saying star Wars, the first star Trek television series. And then the second, the next generation continued it. There's this whooshing, right? It's there's a pulse. It's like, the bong goes, when the ship's flying by, it builds, right? Adventures in space, we're going on a Star Trek. And and you, you're excited about it. It's like, buckle your seatbelts. The gang's all back. Here we go into the unknown. And this does this has none of that. Um, even the scenes with dramatic tension, um, feel incredibly restrained, like over-restrained. There's some tension in it, but there isn't any spark. And in the and then a few times when things kind of get going, the movie lets all the air out of it. Well, like now a 16-minute, you know, shot as we move, we're moving into the thing, right? Pulse pounding, alerts going, we're passing through the cloud. 16 minutes of this like mm-hmm. 2001-esque locked off shot of them drifting into the center of this vast thing. And the design is really cool. It's gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. It's gorgeous. But whatever, like, here we go, get ready. We're about to breathe. You know, and then 16 minutes later, you're like, okay, are we there yet? No, we're not even halfway yet. You know, it's like it just structurally this thing really could have been a tight hour long episode. And I feel like they thought we're making a movie. We're making the most expensive movie that's ever been made. This needs to be very capital I important. And with a couple of little exceptions, like when things get kind of zapped out of existence and they lose a crew member at one point and you know, things happen and they're, they're sudden and they're, they're shocking. Um, but that's few and far between in, you know, I, I think of the original series as my favorite parts of it is, is kind of action packed and it, it really wasn't action packed, but I think that they knew they had to leaven all the talking and sci-fi discussion with some stakes and, and some action, even if it was just, Kirk fighting with a guy in a rubber suit and a cardboard mm-hmm. boulder, right? I mean, they need they there had to be some danger. And in this one, there was danger, but you don't feel it most of the time. They bring back bones. 
who gets some dialogue and has a very fancy beard at first before mm-hmm. he shaves. And and then he doesn't treat any patients, right? There's no Yeah. He doesn't do point. anything. And they bring back Spock, who's apparently been sort of alienated or doing something on Vulcan, but and then they have this terribly written little thing where they're gonna give him a medal for being like, now you are truly <laughs> logical. And then he's sensing the ship. Not go, quite there yet. And they go, oh nope, his he needs Still to have go some be human with his, in him human friends and they kind of drop the metal I'm like he's just going to pick up the metal like don't, don't drop the metal but uh it was and he just kind of picks it up and looks at it and yeah it's I don't terribly know written and somehow he gets to the enterprise and he's like i would like to be back on here and then there's a very weird sequence where he's reunited with his two best friends and he's just a very cold fish we never get that unpacked. yeah yeah was that because he had he was losing his humanity, basically. I mean, is that your feeling on that? Reasonable interpretation of his protracted stony silence. Um, but we never get the scene where he like thaws out of it or yeah. by the end he's, he's like, I guess I'm back on board here. And they're like, yay, but it doesn't make for great cinema. No, I mean, it would be out of character to have him, smile and Jim and throw his arms around him. That wouldn't be Spock, but there's no witty repartee back and forth. It's just stony silence. And it's a long scene and mm-hmm. it's upsetting because you're like, I want, I want the friends to be back together. Yeah. No, you don't get that. So I, for me, like I actually liked it better than I remembered. I still thought it was long. Yes. And tiring. And I was disappointed because I thought you could have taken this material and especially if it's the most expensive movie ever made and you could have spent some of that money figuring out the script before you started shooting it mm-hmm. and and actually made it more exciting. Yeah, from what I read, if you know, th- this was on Wikipedia, so, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But uh, they said it was a 150 page script and they only used 20 pages of it. You know, so they were like, you know, changing stuff as they went and everything. I agree totally with what you were saying about the long shots of the ship and everything. I my, you know, this is just my guess watching it. I was thinking, okay, what would this have been like to have watched this in 1979, especially if you were a fan of the original show or people who worked on the original show? Right. Um, I, I imagine they were probably like, okay. You know, on the show, we were doing everything with paper mache and string and cardboard. Now we finally have the money. They said the the enterprise that they used was eight feet long for the movie. Um, and I mean, like you said, it looks fantastic. And they. That's still not forty four million dollars. Yeah. But I think they got I think it was kind of like, OK, we can, now we can do. Right. And who knows? Robert Wise, the director, they said he had never seen the show before. So they had to oh, they God. picked out they picked out like eight, um, eight episodes that they gave him that they thought were representative of the show for you know him to Why look at. Why would but you it, hire that guy? Yeah. yeah. Hire somebody who loved the show. Yeah. I mean, right? I guess you can I guess you can say that the same thing was repeated um, with a lot of people were mad with the J.J. Abrams movies 
because he said he wasn't a Star Trek fan. He was a Star Wars right. guy, right. which which I mean, that's that's on a separate tangent. But I really enjoyed those remakes. I, th- I thought they were I thought they, they were good, but they weren't uh, boring. No, they weren't boring. Right. Uh, I mean. But but yeah, I think with this, they were, you know, that's kind of all you have is just these long shots of the um, of the ships because uh, the effects are good. But to sit there and watch, you know, minute after minute of them just floating along or whatever. Is, so they, is they built a big model. They built a big detailed model of it. And then they thought, we really got to showcase this model. Now, give me a long, I want a seven minute shot. And you're like, that's just not good movie making. Um, I'm glad that you built a neat detailed model. But the other thing is we all know what, we all know what the enterprise looks like, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's not like there's this crazy intricate detail. And I also will say we have the luxury of of saying this now that there have been umpteen movies and a whole second television series and third and fourth and fifth. I don't even know how many spinoffs there have been of Star Trek and the latest iteration of Star Trek on CBS is very lavish on the budget. Uh, and you can criticize it however you want to criticize it, but it doesn't look cheap uh, no. by any stretch of the imagination. So maybe, maybe we can forgive them the desire to really lavish, like, look how much budget we got to make this. But at the end of the day, you're watching a movie that's over two hours long and it really, really only has a if I'm being generous, 60 minutes of plot. Yeah, really. I'd say 45 minutes, maybe. You know? you know, and 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 you could have easily made this an hour and 70 minute movie and cut all of that out and it would have been better. It still wouldn't have fixed the problem with, in, in certain places, it feels like one of the stagehands wrote the dialogue or they let the actors improvise. Just say something like, um, Spock, your training is not yet complete. And then just turn and walk away without saying, you know, and Mm -hmm. and that's what you get on the screen. And you're like, forty four million dollars, you know, well, the with some of the the costs, they said the phasers and this was in 1979. So think about, you know, adjust for inflation, the phasers that they made. And, you know, a week or two ago, you were talking about going to ILM, not ILM, but going to Skywalker Ranch. And Han Solo's gun was made out of wood and looks super cheap up close. The phasers cost $4,000 a piece to make, and they made 40 of them. Yeah, there's no... Uh, the they, Apple... They don't, they don't shoot their phasers. I don't no. remember seeing a phaser in the movie. The Apple watches that they wear, whatever those... I just kept thinking, oh, that's a cool Apple watch that Kirk yeah. has. What are, what are they called? The tricorders or whatever yeah. they are? Something. Those were like $3,000 to make those because they were f- functional to a degree, like up close. And, you know, that just seems like such a waste of money. No, you, none of that was know. featured in the movie. And you have, yeah. obviously you have a cast with great chemistry. You know, it's electrifying yeah. just to see them all back in the same room together. And then later, later movies, them together is just fantastic. They're having fun with it. I think in later movies, um, the you know the teeth kind of come out of it, 
they they get kind of toothless in the later movies. I think we can probably agree that Khan, Wrath of Khan, is the fan favorite of the uh, films. Yeah, it's definitely, it's not, per, my, for me personally, it's not my favorite. I like it. Now they said, and you can de- you can really see this, they said they essentially fired Roddenberry after this because it was, it made money, but was viewed as a disappointment by the studio. So they fired him uh, essentially. And then you can see, you know, Wrath of Khan, they went much more action adventure with yeah. it than what this is. My favorites are the, I like three, the search for Spock and what's the fourth one called? Save the whales, you know, Star Trek four, save the whales. I love that one too. And that one is just more or less a comedy, you know, it is. And Um, it's got time travel. We ought to do that. That's a kind of a forgotten. I haven't seen that a long time and, and I loved it as a kid. Yeah. We ought to do that one. Cause I I think I've only seen it the once and it's become Mm. this sort of well, that I watched that one a bunch of TV. child of the of the of the franchise. Even the later ones, like the uh, I don't know, I don't know which number it is. People hated the one that uh, that William Shatner directed, the God one. Oh, uh, Undiscovered Country. Undiscovered Country, and I even thought that one was fine. And the uh, the the last one that I really liked because I don't I don't care about the next generation. I saw some of the next generation movies, but uh, the I think it was called Generations, the one that was like the crossover yeah. with Kirk and yeah. Picard. I liked that one a lot. So they're none of them are terrible, I don't think. Um, it just I think when you're watching it in a TV show, you forgive a lower budget thing. But more than that, they have the constraint with with advertisements and everything. I, I know that a half an hour time slot is really a 22 minute uh show and i forget i guess is it 44 minutes then for an hour time slot Mm -hmm. you have the constraint of telling a story in 44 minutes and you have that um you know that that television mandate of commercial breaks so it's almost like a little serial tell a story cliffhanger go to a commercial Mm -hmm. break and uh, here we are the cliffhanger what happens right so that gives it an architecture of of building to these peaks that kind of keep it tripping right along. And a lot of the movies really just feel like, uh, like you said with this one, a television episode that they're like, we'll just pad it out to make it a movie. And you go, but that's not, that doesn't work. Right. I mean, a movie is bigger, longer, more expensive. There's gotta be some shabam to it. Right. And it doesn't necessarily have to be uh Michael Bay shabam. There just needs to be, something more epic about going to see it on the big screen. Um, they you definitely, you, you wouldn't want to just air, you know, in, 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 um, in next generation, they had a number of two part episodes where, you know, it'd be part one. Sometimes they'd split the season on that, or they'd kick off a season or they'd end a season where it'd be, you know, the, I don't remember any of them, but it would be like the title of the whatever part one. And then there'd be the title with our part two and you'd have to wait a week to see it. Or if they were kicking off the season, they'd do them back to back. And I'm like, well, there, you know, that's a movie script right there. That's enough content to fill a movie and it meets the pace, but you still wouldn't want to go to the movies and just see a two part thing with no ads in it. Right. You want Mm -hmm. it for the format. It needs to be, um, you not necessarily amplified. You know what I'm saying, right? It's like yeah. the whole the aspect ratio is just it's different. 
they figured out the the formula by the second movie because they, you know, with this first one, like you said, they were trying to be capital I important. So they they took what was viewed by a lot of of viewers, not necessarily the fans, but you know, it was in that same kind of vein as the Batman TV show. People just looked at it as as cheesy to a degree. And so they they kind of overcorrected with this movie. They made it, you know, too serious and sucked all the fun out of it. And then by the second one, you have, um, you know, a, they said they cut the budget some for the second one. They, they you know, they didn't want it to be the most expensive. Well, you don't movie need four thousand dollar phasers. That's exactly sure. yeah. But they, um, and it's been quite a while since I've seen the second one. But you know, you don't. They're not throwing paper mache rocks uh you know and so um well and the second one has great the second one has great performances yeah um ricardo Ricardo montalban reprising his role as khan which i think is really one of the most entertaining um and uncomfortably named episodes space seed Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah um but you know he's great and when you've got a really great villain and you know, there's there's sparks on screen and that's good. That's good watching. Um, but I think also once they had. The next generation. The next generation brought Patrick Stewart, you know, I mean, Kirk, uh, Kirk, uh, William Shatner was Shakespearean trained. Uh, you know, he was he, he's, he had done that stuff, but um I really feel like the entire ensemble of the next generation raised the bar a little bit. I think that the material got a little richer and a little less um, primary colored and just a little more nuanced and, and, and started talking about things like they had a crew member that was AI, right, with data mm-hmm. and what did it mean to be human. And it, it started exploring the original series explored contemporary issues, but this had more of a platform. And I think that elevated the whole, uh, all of the material. So you look back on this one that predates that. And it my, my temptation is to be a little harsher on it than, you, you know, we don't have the benefit of going back to watch it without all of this other stuff, coloring our perception of the property as a whole. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I don't think you can really discount that, but if you sit down to watch this movie, you're still sitting down to watch the movie that's in front of you. And now looking back on it, I mean, the other thing is I'm sure they built a big set that with working doors and whatever, but the bridge on this one feels very dark mm-hmm. and poorly lit, right? The mood is gloomy and I'm just like, did you run out of money before you lit the bridge? The bridge was they, always sort of drenched in light. They said in what I read that they had, um, that Gene Roddenberry and I guess the director together had decided that in whatever, when is this, the year 3000 or something, uh, that um, there wouldn't be overhead lighting. So they lit everything from the floor. Uh, That's terrible. <laughs> Why would there not be overhead lighting? I, I, I don't know. They'd advance beyond overhead lighting. They have smartwatches, but no overhead lighting, so everybody just looks awful. Mm-hmm. 
it really it casts a pallor on everything. It's it doesn't invite you into the movie. It's like, I mean, they use that to other effect when they're like in, you know, red alert or something. The lighting on the thing changes affects the whole mood. But here, you're almost having trouble seeing. People are having an intense conversation and they're like lit from a panel on the side and it's dark in the room and everything looks washed out and pale. And you just Another think- thing that I kept noticing, and, and I feel like I, I mean, we've already talked about Star Wars because of the comparison with Star Trek and Star Wars, but I feel like I bring up Star Wars every other episode and, you know, I'm going to stick with that trope, I guess. But um, it's amazing when you look at star Wars, how good the costume design was that for the most part, you don't look back and think like, wow, that looked really goofy and looks like the seventies, you know, whereas this it is, it's the seventies, you know, they, they said they had decided to, they, that they didn't want um, to use the primary colors that they had in the series. So, you know, they have these browns and grays that don't, the grays look okay, but the browns and the tans don't look good at all. And there's stuff early on when they, um, the first ship that, that finds out about the alien thing, the costumes that they had where they're kind of this V cut thing in the top and you can see the, ch- the, the men's chest hair and stuff. And it, I just kept thinking, it looks like they're going to go to an orgy or something. Right. You know? I yeah. mean, it was very, there were some bad costumes in this. Very, very strange. And it was okay. Kirk as an admiral, he comes in wearing white. That looked fine. And you that's know. fine. You know, I think seeing a white spacesuit, you're not expecting them to be working with like dirty monkey wrenches and stuff, you know? But a lot of it just looked like terry cloth or something. You it know? doesn't have to be red, yellow, gold. But I mean, what they did was more like when you go down to the planet's surface. It's just this sort of, yeah, homespun, you know, br- literally brown, like mm-hmm. just beige sackcloth colored. And you think, wh- wh- why? And the ship was all gray. There was no color anywhere. Yeah, that's what I kept thinking. They were like, oh, they didn't want to use primary colors. It would look really great against the gray ship, you know? They didn't They didn't use any color. I'm yeah. Like, There's just no color in space. It seems to me like if you're going to be out there, there has to be color, right? There has to be. And, and for the imagination that came up with basically iPads and uh, Apple Watches. Apple Watches, yeah. And, you know, cellular phones and everything decades before these things existed, right? I mean, there's a really interesting whole body of conversations that you can have with scientists who took the design stuff from Star Trek as their inspiration. You know, the first, those Motorola Razor phones, the, the first flip phones, you know, mm-hmm. you just want to be like Kirk Enterprise. That's, that, that's literally, they're like, oh, we can make them look like communicators from Star Trek. People loved it. And so that the minds that thought up these things couldn't think up, you know, it's it's baffling to me to see the ways in which they actually nailed technology that we would want and use and missed it in other things. Like, oh, you, you think there'd be no overhead lighting anymore. Mm-hmm. Not ambient lighting where all the walls or every surface is capable of just radiating 
light of them. Yeah, I, mean, I could see there's we have no, that now. LEDs could see, do that. Yeah, you could see there's the no there's no light bulbs in the sure. future, but <laughs> but you can every buy, surface you, could be light. You know, you could buy a big panel right now, the size of a full screen TV, and it's a light, right? And it's just an LED light uses almost no electricity, and you can change the brightness, the uh, warmth. You can change the color if you want it to be red or blue. You can change all of this stuff, right? And you can set it on a smart thing using your smartwatch to change when you walk in the house. And we have that now in 2021. So you you don't you can't tell me that the entire interior of the ship couldn't be luminescent or look like a forest scene or whatever. Yeah. You know, maybe maybe imaginations then weren't ready to maybe we, they couldn't swallow it. Maybe they could imagine uh, a notepad that actually had digital stuff on it, but they couldn't imagine a whole wall. But then, you know, we get to the holodeck. I guess that's not till the 90s, but I don't know. I don't know. It just, it was better than I remembered it, but it was still disappointing, this film. Um, yeah, yeah. Mostly just because you get all the gang back together, but you don't get any of the fun. They don't, nobody's having any fun in this picture. No. Uh, and there's a big thing at the end where Viger's supposed to like, you know, it's a it, the, the the bald woman is an old flame of the guy you've never met before. He's the captain, but he's basically a red shirt. You know, he's not going to make it through because you don't, you know, you never see him again. And he's just got that mark of forgettableness on him. And they kind of join together in this cosmic Tron type thing that's supposed to be climactic and sad but also triumphant and you know i feel none of those things mm -hmm. i felt very little watching this movie and yeah there's no emotion in it uh, very little emotion i don't regret watching it because you know i enjoy doing this and talking about it with you but mm -hmm. at, i watched it last night and uh, I was up later than I meant to be. And I, by the time I went to bed, I was just like, I wish I'd have just gone to bed early and found time to watch this tomorrow. You know, I so pretty much, I pretty much felt the same way. Yeah. Not it was a big success in terms of the most expensive movie to date ever made. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, I don't know. It, uh, I guess for, I, I'd say both of us are kind of a thumbs down. I mean, it's, it's, um, or I mean, I don't want to speak for you, but I, I would say I, I, I assume anybody who's a Star Trek fan. I mean, I guess I was the only person who I would kind of think of myself as a Star Trek fan and just never got around to this for whatever reason. I remember the the poster is really iconic. And I remember that. I don't know if you remember this or not, but it was on the back of so many comic books at that time. That's what yeah. I remember. That rainbow kind of Yeah, they were trying poster. to make their money back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I actually had the I don't I I'm going to say this is probably not something that they do anymore, but I had um the I don't know if it was Tops but uh or what company made them, but um at that time I really loved to buy the cards. Uh you know, they would re release the movie cards like baseball cards with a pack of gum or a stick of gum in the pack. And I had several packs of of the cards. So I knew some of the story of this movie without ever having watched it um and i always thought it seemed intriguing but just never got around to watching it for, i think they made reason. it thinking that people like fans love the ship and i guess fans do love the ship 
But fans, well, I don't want to speak for all Star Trek fans. Me as a fan, love the property because of the characters and the chemistry yeah. they had and the family they had formed right. and the way in which they're dynamic. They use that dynamic, especially when they would squabble or McCoy and, and uh, Spock, you know, it, it, like that. There's a nice scene when when he comes back on board and he's talking to uh, Scotty, and 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 Scotty gets to be like, "There's just no way we can get that done in time. Like this thing mm-hmm. is not ready to go." And he's like, "We have to go in twelve hours," and then he tells him he's sort of not commandeering command, but has sort of muscled his way back into the captainship, and Scotty is impressed and delighted to have him back as captain and you just see that on his face and he says something to the effect of you know she'll be ready we'll figure out a way to make it work and it's just a little chime of the old like that's those are my guys you know yeah and i just wanted a whole movie of that and yeah there's a blue cloud outside and oh it's oh cool it's the voyager all of that's just frosting right the cake Mm -hmm. is this crew doing what they do and they don't you don't get much of that in this movie it's such a waste nope not at all i mean i guess i i I don't want to thumbs down it because i it's such a beloved thing but only if you're a diehard star trek fan and you haven't seen this one you want to see what you know and i would just be prepared for a lot of air there's a lot of it's not dead air but there's a lot of you know it doesn't need to be this long by half. And the thing is, you don't have to watch this to it's it's not like if you just skip right to Star Trek Two. Right. You're gonna be confused, you know. Right. This is supposed to be this is the one that brings them all back together, but there isn't a lot of dramatic, you know, tissue in there. They just kind of all show back up to the ship and like, I didn't want to come, or this wasn't what I had planned. Or yeah, like oh, here you- we are again. And then they're back together again. So okay, <laughs> great. Like you said, that that scene with Kirk and Scotty was really was really good. And it, you know, you could just see in, you know, Scotty's calling him captain, but he he kind of at the end of the scene, he kind of grabs his arm. Yeah. You know, and it. I thought that was really nice. And a lot more of that, which is what, again, they figured out the formula in in later films that you you want to just see these guys together being pals you know heck give give kirk some captain's log to be like you know they didn't even have that really could they be right you know am i wrong in doing this am i kidding myself about wanting to come back you know they skirt over the surface of like you're promoted and, and you know it's no nobody here is missing the fact that you want the captain's chair again but you're basically kicking this guy out of it perfectly decent good captain and he was a little uh, early on you're kind of like kirk's kind of being a dick you know i felt a bit you know yeah and he would say you know we have to meet this challenge my experience and the other guy had a pretty good argument it's like well you haven't been in deep space in two years and more importantly i know you captained the enterprise this is an entirely different ship Mm -hmm. That I know from, I know every nut and bolt in this entire ship, right? I could take it apart and put it back together again. And you don't even know where the turbo lift is. Like you, you really, 
your experience is not nothing. You know, he, he wasn't dismissive of his legacy as a star captain, but he's kind of like, this is my, sh- I got this. You know, we don't need you in the chair for this. And he's, he even proved it a couple of times throughout the movie, but we didn't feel this, that there's a struggle, right? But we didn't feel that struggle. I felt it was all kind of pointless. I mean, it yeah. wasn't really yeah. that it was really unnecessary. I mean, it didn't really, other than Kirk got a little bit humbled and had to, you know, kind of agree that, yeah, you know more what you're doing here right now than what right. I do. That was the right. only, but I didn't really see there wasn't much point to that. But we don't, we again, we don't, we never craved seeing you know, bossy, angry Kirk. Mm -hmm. We craved seeing cavalier Kirk, um, cool under pressure Kirk, uh, sure, cocky Kirk. Um, And and even angry Kirk when he's angry at the aliens or the Klingons, you know, and he's, you know, fighting for his crew or what's right, but not angry at his crew, brusque with his crew, dismissive of his crew. Mm Mm-hmm. It just wasn't satisfying. Anyway, no. I keep saying the same thing. What do you? Sure. Uh, so, so I guess technically, if we had to do a thumbs up or thumbs down, I'd say thumbs down. You know, there's, yeah. There's so many other Star Trek movies. Watch any of the other Star Trek or movies. Or just go back and pick one of your favorite episodes mm-hmm. and screen that one again. Like, there's a lot. There's a lot of great material, and and this one doesn't really add anything to the canon. No. Um, what do you want to do for next time? So, uh, there were a couple that we talked about, and then there was also another one that popped up on Amazon that I thought was a little interesting. Another that I've never seen. So, um, Richard Donner just died a a couple of days ago and he directed, um, I, I think it's really, I was thinking, you know, he never gets talked about among great directors, but he had, he didn't direct a ton of movies, but he directed the Omen, the original Superman and Superman two, which he was fired from, but, um, lethal weapon, the Goonies. Um, so kind of of those lists, we had talked about the two that I've seen, like the Goonies I've seen a million times. And I just saw it a couple of years ago in the theater, which was pretty cool. But, um, so that isn't really one that I would want to, you know, it's been a while. It's, I've seen it recently, but, um, the omen and lethal weapon are two movies that I haven't seen in a while. Um, so the, either one of those I think would be fun to do. Another one that popped up on Amazon as, you know, a movie that you may like that I've never seen, but was always interested in. Have you ever seen angel heart with, um, Robert De Niro and, uh, uh, Mickey Rourke and Lisa Bonet. Have you ever seen that one? I have. So it's that's one a, that I'd never seen before. It's been a long time. And it's been a long time. I don't remember a it's lot. It's like a about voodoo it. thing or something, yeah. I think. My yeah. memory of it is that it's slow. But okay. I probably watched it late at night when I was home at my parents' house from Christmas from college or something. Mm-hmm. And I was probably drunk. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's not slow. I don't. The fact that I don't remember much about it, it to me is telling. But and another, if we wanted to stick with sci-fi, is I was just kind of looking through lists of underrated sci-fi films, 
and there's a it's from sometime in the move in the 90s maybe 95 or 93 uh screamers with um uh, what's the name of the guy from RoboCop? Peter Weller. Peter Weller, yeah. Uh, have you ever seen that one? That's nope, one that I've never, never seen before, that. and never it always comes up. So I don't know if if there's any of that sound. How does any of that sound to you? Yeah, yeah. You know, the Omen scared the pants off me when I was a kid. Um, I mean, I'd love to. It's it's been quite a while since since I've seen the Omen, so I would that love goes to back if, away, and that's good old fashioned horror. Yeah. Lethal Weapon, of course, I loved as a kid. I, I wonder how that stands up in today. One thing I know that that it definitely follows that formula that I brought up earlier. That uh, series get more comedic as they go along. I know yes. Lethal Weapon is there's jokes in it, but it's a much more serious movie. It, you know, it's before they turn into they're just flat out comedies. You know, well, and it's um, Mel Gibson too, which you know people have very intense feelings about Mel Gibson today before we knew he was kind of crazy mel gibson was awesome you know i well uh, i at the risk of being too controversial like i don't condone anything he has said or done i mm -mm. just if you look at him purely as his performances as a as an actor and a director there is no denying the man's talent oh yeah yeah you know he's electrifying on screen um braveheart was a it was just a smash hit of a film. Mm -hmm. um, not perfect, but the fact that he starred and directed in that is quite remarkable to me. So yeah, you can, you can say many, many things about Mel Gibson and I don't know the guy and I don't even know what's true and what isn't true about everything he has or hasn't said. I know he has said some horrible stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, the guy definitely but, has some but problems. You can't, say he's a, say. you can't say he's untalented. And in his prime, man, he was great, you know, yeah. So, as, so as I mean, I'd be interested to watch that too. Screamers, I haven't seen. So, and I love me some Peter Weller. So uh, I'm interested in that. Those one of those three would probably. Be uh, how about if so? Just uh, it's kind of timely with Richard Donner. How about if we'd do the Omen? Because that's definitely the one that it's been the longest since I've seen. Yeah, let's make um, sure before we commit to oh, it yeah, that, that it's available somewhere. I can't it. imagine that it's not. I know, but that's how I felt about uh, Strange Days, too, because it's, I mean, you know, it's underappreciated, but it's not obscure. I mean, I knew about it. Yeah, we'll, we'll take a look here and see if what comes up. This says you can watch it on Prime. You can watch it on Apple TV. Okay. So, so be, we'll be able to find it. Yeah, I want to make sure it's not some. Like you no, no, this is the one. one. This is the one. Yeah, you can. Yeah, they did it. a they did a remake. Uh, 10 yeah, or so years you're ago. not talking about that one, right? No, 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 the original one. Yeah, yeah. yeah the yeah, remake, yeah. I think, was okay, but it was again, it was necessary. And they made sequels. There was the Omen, the Omen Two, and the Omen. There's 3. several sequels. Yeah, yeah. But we're I'm we're talking about the original, the original, the Omen. All right. So for next week, we're going to do the Omen, 1976, and uh, Chris and Chris Talk Movies at Gmail dot com is our email address. We're also on the many socials. of the socials. Most of them, yeah. You can send us a little tweet, chirp at us with your tweetings. Instagram. Yeah. Thank you so much to that. You you sent me a re and I think you mentioned it last time a really lovely um, 
little uh, bump that somebody gave us. Mm -hmm. The Witchery Podcast. Yes. Said uh, some just some really a lovely blurb for us on the Creep Show. Thank if there if you guys are listening, thank you so much. That's that's lovely, and I need to actually subscribe to the Witchery Podcast. Check that out. See yeah. what they're doing. Um, for sure. Great. So next week, The Omen. This has been Star Trek: The Motion Picture, and uh, I'm Chris. The slow, the, uh, the slow motion picture. It should have been called. I'm sure they yes. made that. I'm sure, they made that joke <laughs> in 1979. Well, you just made it now. I'm Chris I'm Ferry, and it. you are Chris Huddleston. And uh, we will talk to you next week.